Bullshit is everywhere. Bullshit. Bullshit is rampant. Total fucking bullshit. Bullshit. This makes no fucking sense. This is bullshit. Fuck. Bullshit is bullshit. Welcome back, Bullshit Filler, the news, the week of uh, 19th of March, 2019. Um, hey, Ray. Hello. Hello, Ray. Um, now, this is going to be a pretty sombre episode, um, but before we get into that, uh, I was recording the QAV podcast with Kino yesterday, yeah. and he has a message for you that okay. I thought... I would start off with. Well, hi Cam, it's Buffalo Kino here. How are you? <laughs> Good Kino. What? What? Why? What are you doing on the Bullshit Filter Show, Kino? Are you here to? Are you here I'll to plug our new podcast, the QAV? Yes, yes. Well, people should uh, tune into the new podcast and learn my secrets. I'm putting them out there for free, and um, yeah, it's a <laughs> it's actually a bit confronting for me to do that, but hopefully it'll it'll uh, it'll help people. Yeah, which I'm is sure the it will. Overall aim. Feedback so far has been tremendous. Oh, that's good. Mm. I'm glad. And look, what I'm hoping is that uh, people will give us feedback in terms of what to talk about in the future as well. But that's not what you really came on here to talk about, Tony. It's not. I came on to talk about what I learnt in the last week. Mm -hmm. Then what's that, (laughs) Kaino? Well, I've got a long list here. The first one is you should never heckle a podcaster, uh, even if you're joking, (laughs) because they have other podcasts that they can (laughs) reply to you on. And uh, you, you don't get the right of reply. Uh, the, it's um, podcast war. Podcast <laughs> yeah, war. Nev, right. What do they say? Never, never start a war with somebody who buys ink by the gallon. That's right, by the barrel. By the barrel. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's exactly right. So, reminds me of the old JBL Peterson trick where he'd come out and say something outrageous in the morning and when the person offended would defend it in the afternoon, Joe was already on to his next person, so they got no air time. That's Donald Trump's uh, <laughs> yeah. tactic. He, he might have learned that from Very Joe. Very similar. Very similar, very similar. People listening to so, this yes. outside of you know, Australia don't know who Joe Bielke Peterson is, but that doesn't matter. Move on. Well, if you know who Donald Trump is, you pretty much know who Joe Bielke Peterson was. Yeah. Kingaroy peanut farmer. Yeah. <laughs> and originally a Kiwi as well. I'll go on, yeah. So the, the, uh, I wanted to point out, you know, based on the bullshit filter last week, that calling a redhead ginger is not pejorative. It's a badge. <laughs> and... Um, you know, you have a wife who's a ginger. You have a son who's a ginger. Mm-hmm. You have a co-host who's a ginger. I have a daughter who's a ginger. You've been completely surrounded by gingers. Mm-hmm. That's what we're scared about. You, you take, well, you're taking s- over. <laughs> it's, you've seen Invasion of the Body Snatchers, haven't you? The original 70s version. I, I have, yes. Yeah, yeah one of my favourite movies. So one day you're going to wind up. You're going to wake up. You're going to run your head through your hair. My head? Ooh. My, your hand through your hair, sorry. Uh-huh. Yeah, you're going to go, ooh, this feels different. Uh-huh. Bit, bit thicker, bit wavier. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going yeah, to feel my I'm gonna feel my soul basically uh, leaking out of my ears because we all know gingers have no soul. Oh, really? Yeah, it's a South Park thing, man. South Park's been <laughs> teaching us that ah. for 20 years. Gingers have no ah. soul. Well, I know that you can't be a ginger and join the mafia because they believe that uh, Judas Iscariot had red hair. <laughs> 
Uh, and they don't trust us. He was the red-headed Jew. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the right. The red-headed Palestinian Jew. Yeah. Have you ever seen uh, The Last Temptation of Christ, the Scorsese film? I have. Great film. Yeah, so Harvey Keitel plays Judas Iscariot with red curly hair. There you go. I never, yeah, never yeah, noticed yeah. that. So Scorsese. Scorsese knows his mafia law. And, uh, and, and just regarding <laughs> Ray. Now, everyone loves Ray. Everyone loves Raymond. <laughs> And look, I understand he doesn't want to be a ginger because he doesn't have much hair anyway, so it would be hard to do. But I am reminded of a, a conversation we had off air a little while ago about, um, about your finances. And you told me you were paying, Ray, a substantial portion of your podcast subscription income. And what did I say to that? Uh, get rid of him. He's useless. <laughs> no, I think I said, oh. maybe you should consider outsourcing him to China. <laughs> get it. Get it. Get a co-host cheaper. Yeah, yeah. Well, what, I, what I've always said, well, i said for a long time, I, I've got hundreds of hours of recordings of Ray giggling. I could just play that as a B-track. No one would know the difference. <laughs> well, that, and they wouldn't notice the difference with the Chinese, Ray, either. No. You know, if you bring up, bring up Central Casting in China and say, uh, look, I need to outsource a co-host. Do you have anyone who's a bit short, a bit fat, a bit bald? Ah, you want the Buddha. <laughs> well, wow. yeah, you know, southern, southern Chinese person exposed to the Western diet of pizza and Pepsi and pulled pork, the four things. Little, little bit, uh, little bit chubby, a little bit short. Don't say, you can't but, say pulled pork, Ray'll get excited. <laughs> you could ask the the, uh, the Chinese casting service if they have a Chinese George Costanza. <laughs> I keep saying he's a George Costanza. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Any day now, he's he's, he's going to get a toupee. <laughs> and uh, and you should call. You know, what you call the Chinese Ray? I think you call him Wei. Lay, Wei, Wei, Lay or Wei? Yeah, maybe <laughs> Lay, Lay or Wei. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, when I when I when I thought of the Chinese Wei, I thought of Hawaii Wei, and how. How they're being shut up and uh, doing work around the world on, on 5G networks, and how maybe they could surprise, that supply a, a Chinese way, a Hawaii way, way. Who? Way? Yes, way. <laughs> and, and that's a segue for the, uh, the QAV podcast, Cam, because I, I was thinking about this uh, banning of Hawaii way um, in Australia, and they can't build a 5G network here. Uh, then we started talking about 5G technology and right. Australia's largest yeah. telco. So there you go. That's uh, There's a message from well, Kino just for you, Ray. If if I may, what I took from that is I am the Buddha of podcasting. <laughs> that's all you took away from it. That's the only bit you heard. That's all I... That's all I selective hearing, my yeah. friend. Selective hearing. <laughs> he did at the end it's of all over, of that... It's not over, Tony. He did at the end yeah. of that make sh- ask me to make sure that you know that he loves you. So there you go. Oh, so... and I love what I'm going to do to him. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Right. All right, let's get on with the uh, sad and somber bit right. of the show now that we've had a bit of a laugh. Um, yeah. <clears throat> well, as you all know... Um, yeah, the shooting that happened in Christchurch in New Zealand uh, Friday... Look, and, and you you may have seen the, the short video that I posted up later that day when it was still 
fresh. Um, mm-hmm. Had a few days to process it. Um, um, but it's still, it's a very difficult topic for me. Look, look, we, we, we've, we've talked about a lot of US mass shootings. We did our gun control series and um, talking about US shootings, mass shootings for me is one thing. They're horrible right. and they're shocking and they're depressing. But part of me just thinks, well, of course it happened. It's America. You know, mm-hmm. Americans are fucking crazy, fucked up. Culture's fucked. <laughs> Not all Americans are fucked up, but but the, the culture right. is, right? The, the, the culture of the country is, in my personal opinion, broken and has been broken for a long time and is getting worse. There are good people, very good people in America, some of my favourite people in America. But... Um, yeah. Uh, uh, it's it's the culture, right? You can have a you can have good people inside of a bad company. I'm sure there were good Nazis, and I'm sure there's good Ku Klux Klan members. But when the culture of an organization is toxic, um, it's hard not to get swept up in that. But anyway, this one is very different. Partly because he is me, this shooter. He's a white Aussie male. Um, mm-hmm. Partly because it's New Zealand, and I'll get into that. But the, he is me; like he's twenty years younger than me. But I feel a sense of responsibility. Um, this shooter grew up in a country where I'm an adult, and I'm not. Not a politician. I'm not a. I don't have a big media company. I don't have any influence uh, beyond right. my little podcasts uh, regarding the culture of, of Australia. But 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 I do. I, I'm a voter. I'm an adult. I'm a member of society. So I feel it. I feel mm. like I have a responsibility for what happened. Um, I, I feel. <laughs> Uh, personally <sighs> responsible um, at, a, at a level which I, I've never really um, uh, felt before because in, I, I allowed this to happen. It's happened on my watch as a, as a middle-aged adult man, white male, privileged white male in this country. Um, I allowed this to happen and um, it... it <sighs> It really uh, has shaken shaken me. It's it's really upsetting. Yeah. Well, that's a very different reaction to what the Australian Senator Fraser Anning had. Not to cut you off, but uh. yeah, Fraser Anning's a dickhead. Um, he deserved the egg on his head and a lot more. But anyway. I don't want to talk about yeah. Fraser Rowning. He's a he's sure. bad enough. I have to talk about this fuckhead shooter. Like so, partly because of that. Sure. Partly because it's New Zealand. These are the friendliest, nicest people on earth. You've been there. They're the nicest yes. people on earth. Yeah. So I think Australians yeah. are the nicest people on earth, except for New Zealanders. Um, <laughs> like New Zealanders. Right. Like we. Look, I make fun of New Zealanders and Kiwis and sheep fucking all the time. But really. <laughs> I, yeah. You know, I, I, I love New Zealanders and I, I every New Zealander I've ever met has been lovely, um, uh, uh, fine, upstanding, wonderful people. Um, 
nice, the nicest people, honestly. Um, like, mm-hmm. a, as a country, they're so nice. The white people there speak the native tongue. They, the white wow. people dance the native dance. Mm. Um, you know, the, the, I don't know if you know much about the history, but when the Europeans yeah. uh, were invading what, what became New Zealand, the, the indigenous people there, the, the, who then decided to call themselves Maori, which I think means original or, or um, uh, indigenous, uh, were so strong and fierce that they were able to negotiate. They basically said, look, you can come here, but you have right. to give us uh, a certain amount of uh, uh, voice and say in the the politics and the culture of the country, and the Europeans wow. had to agree to it. So anyway, that's my look, that's yeah. my understanding. I've never lived there. Uh, but that's my, my understanding from the Kiwis that I've known over the years. You know, they're such a nice people. They elected a single ex-Mormon woman to be their prime minister. And um, <laughs> right. what, what an astounding job she has done, and particularly in the last few days. Um, yeah. They're such a nice country that they offered to take some of the men, women and children refugees that Australia has been heartlessly keeping in concentration camps on Pacific right. Islands. They said, we'll take them. And, of course, the Australian government said, nah, we're not going to send them to you because that would make us look bad if you take them. So, no, we'll just keep them in the concentration camps. Thanks very much. So, Brenton Tarrant, a white Aussie male in his late 20s, not only killed 50 people and injured Mm -hmm. another 50 in two mosques um, just after prayers on Friday, he also live-streamed it on Facebook laughing about it before he went and did it and afterwards and left an 80-odd page manifesto explaining why he did it. Now, they caught him. Um, Unlike most of these Mm -hmm. situations, uh, particularly in the US where the shooter ends up dead, either suicided or um, shot by police, they caught this guy. So he's under arrest and, um, and I think that's a good thing. Because mm-hmm. he is obviously a broken human being, and I want to understand what is going on inside of his uh, neural architecture, so we can yeah. better understand these people and try and prevent future um, events like this. But um, I read his manifesto. Have you read his manifesto, Ray? Did you bother? I I didn't read all 74, 80 pages of it, no. But I did read some of it. What was your what, I, what were your impressions? Well, let me ask this, because since you've read it all, I, I, I watched a lot of videos and um, people, supposedly specialists analyzing, who, who, you know, who specialize in this thing, and they were, they were saying that you shouldn't take every single word of it um, as sincere, that there were a lot of red herrings in there. And I wanted to get your opinion of that since you actually read the entire thing. Do you think he meant everything he put in there? Because a lot of it was just, you know, almost just free-flowing thoughts for 74 pages or whatever. Um, or do you think he was, like, smart enough to throw red herrings in there to keep the um, to keep the discord going in different parts of the world? Yeah, yeah, it was there was large parts of it where he was obviously being 
sarcastic and taking the piss right. and leveraging internet memes and that kind of stuff. But before I get into that, so you were telling me just off air about your reaction mm. to the shooting. So I've talked about my reaction. What was your reaction to it when you heard the news? Yeah, th- this is going to sound um, uh, not going to put me in a good light, but as, as um, you pointed out, actually on your six minute video on the Facebook page, um, I have a certain right to be um, uh, numb to all this. So I knew we were going to talk about this today. I get up, I have breakfast, I get off the kids to school, I take my dog for a walk, I exercise, and then I sit down and I start looking over videos and you know, Facebook and different news agencies. And so I'm going through there and I'm taking notes thinking, you know, okay, this is another show, da, 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 da. About two hours into looking at videos of people crying, people holding hands, people supporting each other, people just with literally shocked, numbed looks on their faces, you know, kind of that thousand yard stare where they just, you don't, they don't even know where they're at at the moment. It took me two hours to actually feel as sad or as shocked as you did in your six minute video. Cause like you said in the video, and we've said this before, I mean, this happens all the time on d- in different sizes and different number of people killed in America all the time. And we had the Charlottesville last year just to show you how close it can come to home. And uh, yeah, it's another shooting. So let me write down some stats so we can talk about it and that kind of stuff. But after about two hours, I was completely distraught and I had and I was re what is the word I'm looking for I reappreciated the pain the suffering the sense of loss the shock that all these people are feeling right now but it took me two hours of watching them suffer to get there so um that and, and ever since that moment up until this point I've just been walking around you know depressed sad nervous paranoid scared even though I truly live in the middle of nowhere a terrorist couldn't find me with a map but you get paranoid when you just know that there's this kind of random violence that's out there and it can hit at any time for any reason because someone is mentally de- deranged so it it just it just shocked me that I had to slowly work up to feeling what you felt within seconds, just because I see it on the news all the time and it's in my country and it's my country people doing it to each other. So that was kind of the, the emotional arc I had today. Yeah. On our gun control series, we, I remember quoting uh, one or two psychologists who talked about the desensitization that um, happens in places like America where this happens all the time, and you just you have to yeah. get you have to get over it. I mean, you you, you can't right go through this kind of trauma uh, every day. You, you have to just yeah, I guess put it in a little box in your head somewhere and and move on, justify it um, or rationalize it, and and move on. Um, but you know, I, I want to be clear, like. The my feelings about it are, are because I feel at all in any way threatened or scared for me personally as a result right. of this. Um, I'm horrified by what the 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 Muslim members of uh, New Zealand's community and the Australian community must be feeling right now. The the abject terror mm-hmm. that right. imagine you're you're a Muslim man, woman, or child and 
you're going to church, uh, a safe haven, um, where you're praying to your God. Now, I'm, a, I'm, I'm as hardcore as you can get as an atheist, and I think all religions are stupid, and I think all people who pray to imaginary sky men are mm-hmm. it's appallingly stupid and, and dangerous even. I think religion is dangerous for a whole bunch of factors that I won't get into now. But still, mm-hmm. this is... If there's one place on earth where you should be safe, uh, it should be right. in in your church. Um, and this is New Zealand. People aren't strapped there. Um, they're they're in New right. they're, they're in their church. They're praying to their God for, I assume, um, peace and goodwill to all people on earth. Because unlike people like the shooter, I don't believe. Muslims are all terrorists, are all trying to do evil deeds. Um, or take over. So, yeah. But imagine you're a Muslim, and it's probably you know even beyond New Zealand or Australia, Muslims all around the world, particularly in Western countries, are hearing this and wondering, well, is there going to be a copycat killer coming to my church this right. weekend and do this, right. do this to me and my friends and my children? Uh, so I feel part of the trauma is... is me putting myself in the shoes of these people and just thinking about the abject terror that they must be in right now and the grief that they must be going through, as well as the family members of the people that were killed in Christchurch. But, um, and also the grief for everyone else in New Zealand. Again, one of the most peace-loving, gentle, nice people uh, on the planet for this to have happened in their Society and their culture and their community, I'm sure it's deeply, deeply traumatic and horrifying. Uh, and for an Australian who grew up on my watch to have perpetrated that and caused this amount of pain and trauma, um, I, 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 I'm taking it personally. I am feeling like mm-hmm. I, I let this happen. Um, so... His manifesto, it's called The Great Replacement, um, for mm-hmm. reasons I'll get into in a minute. Look, I, I actually found it surprisingly articulate. Um, I, I've seen a lot of the press coverage talking about it being mad ramblings and this and that, and they're denigrating right. it, but I didn't find that at all. I, 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 I mean, he, according to his own account, he um, wrote it very quickly, not long before the attacks, uh, he had written a longer manifesto uh, sometime mm-hmm. before that, which he says he deleted and then decided to rewrite it quickly before the actual attack. Um, but, you know, it's surprisingly articulate. Um, reminds me a lot of Mein Kampf, the first time I read Mein Kampf. I was like, okay, well, mm-hmm. this guy is not insane. He's not uh, completely out of touch with reality. He has... A worldview. It's a disturbing worldview, um, and I disagree with it on every level. But I get the fact that he has a worldview, and he's articulating that worldview. Um, the 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 manifesto starts off with Dylan Thomas's poem "Do Not Go Gentle Into That Good Night," which, by the wow. way, Dylan Thomas wrote in 1947 in Florence. It was published for the first time in 1951. Two years before he drank himself into a coma and died while on a lecture tour in America. Uh, so he he didn't go gentle into that good night. He no. uh, drank himself into a coma. And I'm just wondering what he would 
be thinking now if he knew that uh, this guy's manifesto started off with that poem. Right. Um, his death, of course, prompted a young folk singer by the name of Robert Zimmerman to change his last name to Dylan. Anyway, um, the manifesto then goes on about declining birth rates in Western countries and how, in his own words, white people are failing to reproduce, failing to create families, failing to have children. Fair enough. Right. He's, he's right, okay? Uh, fertility mm. rates or, or birth rates in the West we know are, are dropping, as they are in places like Japan for a whole bunch of reasons. People are having kids later. Some people aren't having kids at all uh, or they're having fewer kids, um, you know, for a whole bunch of economic and sociological yeah. reasons. Um, but he points out that people of non-European descent tend to have higher fertility rates. And he says this is going to result in white genocide. These are his words. He's basically channeling Augustus Caesar. Look, we need to have more kids or else uh, right. the the white aristocracy are uh, going to disappear and that would be a bad thing for Yeah, Rome. Yeah, because so, supposedly, according to Augustus, that uh, those people, the Blue Bloods, cared more about Rome and the... And the greatness of Rome versus the, uh, the the commoners. So yeah, you've got people got to keep having babies so we can keep leading armies and keeping Rome great. Um, and, and Augustus was obsessed with that, and I guess this guy is too. And Tiberius was too. And we've talked about a lot of this on our Caesar show. How it was for exact the exact same reasons. People in Rome during the early first century, late first century BCE, and the early first century CE. A lot of the aristocracy were like, you know what? Having kids is too much work and effort. Um, I'm just going to take my money and yeah. have a good time. You know, not yeah. even going to get married. I'm just going to fuck around and uh, have, have have fun. And Augustus yeah. and then Tiberius after him were like, no, cut that shit out. You need to have lots of kids. It's important. <laughs> so, right. look, the guy's right. Okay, I get that. Yeah, he's probably right. Um, I guess the difference between him and me is he sees that as a bad thing because he thinks... Europeans and particularly European Christians um, are a good thing. I, I look at my understanding of history and go, yeah, European Christians, uh, been a bit of a scourge. <laughs> Not so much. A scourge on the yeah. earth, actually. Uh, wouldn't be a bad thing if uh, we, we were they not... weren't in power. Yeah, if we weren't in power. Yeah. Yeah. Not necessarily have to wipe us all out, keep a few of us in a zoo or something, but, uh, <laughs> you know, we have, we have not... And over here yeah. we have the yeah French Christians. Yeah. yeah, white white European Christians have done some good things. Uh, Leonardo right. da Vinci, uh, Michelangelo, uh, Brunelleschi, Press. Uh, Lou yeah. Reed. Oh, he was a Jew. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the Printing Press. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, we've also started a couple of world wars and uh, dis, you know yeah. invaded and displaced. Countless millions of uh, indigenous people and, and, and mined the fuck out of their land, stolen their wealth, uh, invaded their countries, bombed the fuck out of them, all this kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Anyway, he's white, obviously, male, 28, says he comes from a poor, lower-class background in country New South Wales, didn't do well at school, didn't go to university, wasn't really interested, um, doesn't have a military background as far as we mm -hmm. know. He doesn't claim one. Right. I've seen no evidence of that. Um, no criminal history. 
in either New Zealand or Australia wasn't on the radar mm. of police or, or the intelligence community for having extremist views or anything like that. Right. Not a member of any sort of terrorist organization, fascist organization, any organization, like really. Yeah, you know. exactly. I used exactly. to work as a personal trainer in a gym in uh, yeah. Grafton in New South Wales, relatively small country town where he was before he went on his travels. Claims in his manifesto that he made money out of trading BitConnect, a mm. cryptocurrency that famously collapsed in January of 2018. He said he then used the money that he made from trading BitConnect to travel. Now, he says yeah. he went to France and Spain, around Europe. He also says he went to Turkey, Afghanistan, Pakistan, and North Korea. Eastern Europe. Exactly. Exactly. Now, who the fuck goes to North Korea, Afghanistan, and Pakistan? And why? And why? To it's, prove his tongue. It's, exactly. it's yeah. not easy to get into North Korea. It's right. pretty fucking hard for a Westerner to get a visa to go to North Korea. Why would you do that? It's a very strange decision to travel to those places, which deserves some sort of explanation. Um, anyway, um, he claims he got radicalised um, during the last couple of years, and I'll talk about that in a second. But in the, in the manifesto, he claims he carried out the attack, and this is a quote, to show the invaders that our lands will never be their lands. Our homelands are our own. And that as long as a right. white man still lives, they will never conquer our lands and they will never replace our people. Now, unfortunately, he doesn't have much of an education. has obviously never read a fucking history book. Otherwise, he would know that New Zealand, for example, has only had white European people for about 200 years. Whereas the... Right. Right. Poly the Polynesian people have been there for 800 <laughs> years. So oh. our lands, really? Our lands. Yeah. Uh, why do you think it is our lands? Because the European people have been there for 10 minutes and now it's our lands. Yeah. He also said he wanted to, and this is a quote, incite violence, retaliation and further divide between the European people, European people and the invaders currently occupying European soil. Mm. He also said that he wanted to create further divisions around gun laws in the United States, so the United States would have a civil war which would be divided, he thinks, amongst, along racial lines, all this kind of stuff. Right, keep that he thinks, going. Yeah. He thinks, uh, and possibly rightly so, because this has happened with previous white nationalist uh, terrorist attacks that he will serve as the inspiration to other young, dumb white nationalists who come up behind him and um, do these sorts of things. Yeah. Um, now, ironically, he says he was radicalised in 2017 after the Stockholm lorry attack where truck drove into a crowd of people and um, in particular, he quotes this 11-year-old girl who was killed, Ebba, and says that's what radicalised him. He writes, I could no longer ignore the attacks. They were attacks on my people, attacks on my culture, attacks on my faith, 
and mm. attacks on my soul. They would not be ignored. Completely missing the point that terrorist attacks by Islamic fundamentalists in the West have exactly the same motivation. <laughs> they are retaliating for the West's right. attacks on their people, their culture, their faith over centuries. But that's where his um, being uneducated comes in again. He truly doesn't know the bigger, longer picture of history. It's part, reacts. partly, yes, because of that, and but also partly, and I'll get into this, just the rising tide of Islamophobia that's been happening in Australia as, as around the rest of the West for the last, you know, 20 years, um, in yeah. particular since 9-11. But before that, too, but in particular since 9-11. Um, now, of course, Australia, well, he, his own country, yeah. his own country itself was settled mm -hmm. as part of a genocidal frontier war. Uh, right. And then f over the last 230 years, our indigenous population, the traditional owners of this land, have been systematically killed and or marginalised. They only got the right mm -hmm. to fucking vote in the 1960s. They Jeez. were only counted as being part of the population in 1967... They were only recognised as full citizens of the country in 1983. That's insane. And they've been here for 60,000 years at least that we know of, that we found evidence of, possibly longer. We used to think it was 20,000, then we found evidence and went, oh, fuck, it's probably more like 30,000, then it was 40,000, then it was 50,000. Last I heard, it's like 60, maybe 70,000 years they have been so in this country. Yeah. So so the he he is showing the same arrogance, the same white arrogance as the Europeans did when they first came over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now that we're here, now it counts or you can count us as people but you don't count. So it, it's it's this it's the same racism um playing itself out all, all over again. Yeah, and he he quite proudly declared himself a, a racist and a fascist yeah. in his uh manifesto. Look, white nationalism was a was practically Australia's founding doctrine. You know, we 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 had a uh, white Australia policy up until the late twentieth century, um, where we wouldn't. We've talked about this before. I can't remember which show we talked about this on, but right, you know, it was bipartisan f policy at a federal level in this country that we would not accept any immigration into this country by people who weren't of white European Christian descent up until the late 20th century. White and Christian. Yeah, okay. white European Christians. Right. Um, gotcha. People didn't even want Greeks and Italians to come here after World War II because they were, like, not white enough. <laughs> right. That's what I was about to say, yeah. You know, you had to be British, Irish, Scottish, you know, Welsh, etc. Right. To let them, the right kind of white, the right, gotcha. the right kind of white, the right exactly. kind of white, like that. Before Australia you go, I, has yeah. been a white nationalist country for the vast majority of uh, you know the time since the European invasion. 
Right. I, I just wanted to, I, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt your flow, but I just wanted to ask a quick question, your, your opinion on something in his travels. Now, yeah, I read that he went to North Korea. I don't know what he thought about that. I know that he went to Pakistan and I did read that he said, or he wrote or posted that the, the Pakistani people were some of the nicest, most caring, giving, accepting people that he had ever met. He was in, he was in, just impressed by the way they were just looking out for him and, and being nice. He goes to Eastern Europe, but it's when he goes to France that he sees the Muslims in France and the, the terrorist attack. So he goes traveling over parts of the world, but he's supposedly radicalized when he's in Europe proper, and I'm guessing France, in the spring of 2017. So he can go to other countries, enjoy their hospitality, but as soon as he sees Muslims in France or in Europe in general, that's when he feels like this is wrong. I'm just I'm just curious. I can visit your country, but... And I guess I'm only visiting, but you can't come to mind because you'll take over one day because you have more babies. I'm just, I would love to know, since this guy is still alive, you made that point. I would love to get inside his head and say, how do you get radicalized so quickly? Was it something on your trip? Was it the, was it the total experience that you had on your trip that somehow took you from zero to 60 in just a matter of months or month in the spring of 2017. I, I would just be fascinated to know how that happened in his life. Well, he said it was the Stockholm lorry attack in 2017. Yeah, but just you, you get one thing and then suddenly I've got to, I mean, that's a hell of a reaction. Yeah. To, to that's my point. Well, he spent a lot of time on the internet. He ended up reading alt-right white nationalist sites, uh, apparently, and his manifesto is right. full of that sort of rhetoric. Um, and, you know, it, it reminds me again of Mein Kampf, you know, Hitler saying, I think, from recollection, it's been a long time since I've read it, but my recollection mm-hmm. is he says, you know, he never really thought much about the Jews and he had Jewish friends and all that kind of stuff, and then... Somebody gave him a pamphlet to read, and he went, "Oh fuck, mm-hmm. you're right. It's all the Jews," and it just clicked, and that it's was their it. fault. He was off. Yeah. Um, now, I, I I mentioned before, you know, Australia's invade the invasion of Australia in the mm-hmm. 1780s. Um, it usually gets referred to as the well, it gets referred to as the settlement of Australia settlement right. by the it was already settled British or right. European settlement when we want to couch it in um, friendly mm. friendly terms I, but right. I refer to it as the Christian invasion that's what I think is the honest way of of, of talking about it it was a ah. invasion by Christians not mm-hmm. the British not Europeans Christians and this dickhead, with no understanding of history, um, also appears to be Christian, although he obfuscates it a little bit. But you read, you know, between the lines in his document, he is, was some kind of Christian. And I'll explain why I believe that. Now, he actually has a right. section, a lot of the document is him having a Q&A with himself, um, imagining that he's being interviewed by journalists, an FAQ, mm-hmm. basically. Um, here's a section where in which he asks himself if he is or was a Christian, and he says, it's complicated when I know I'll tell you. When I work it out, I'll let you know, or something like that. But right. then there's that line that I quoted before where he says, these were attacks on my people, attacks on my culture, attacks on my faith. Right. 
so suggesting that it's an attack on Christianity, and that is his faith. There's another section headlined to Christians in which he quotes Pope Urban II's call to arms uh, for the First Crusade in 1095. Let our lives be stronger than death to fight against the enemies of the Christian people. And then he finishes by saying, and ask yourself, what would Pope Urban II do? Now, Pope Urban II, who launched the First Crusade against the Muslims in 1095, used the words Deus vult, which is Latin for God wills it, which, and Deus mm. vult were also, was also chanted by the white supremacists who marched through Charlottesville in August 2017. Right. Later on in the document, when he's talking about Turkey, where he visited, um, he says that Hagia Sophia will be free of minarets and Constantinople will be rightfully Christian-owned once more. Um, Constantinople, obviously the antiquated name for Istanbul, the Hagia Sophia, the former church, now mosque in um, Istanbul. He also complains at one stage that the US and NATO forces fought beside Muslims and slaughtered Christian Europeans attempting to remove these Islamic occupiers from Europe. So he is either a Christian or or, or closely aligned, feels closely aligned with with Christianity and Christians. Sympathetic. Yes. Right. Um, I, I think the evidence is there that He's probably some sort of uh, Christian, not affiliated with a particular denomination, bit like bit like Hitler was um, later on. Like you know, he believes in Jesus, but believes that Christianity is it stands as you know corrupted and he needs to be renewed with the blood of the Jews. In this case, the blood of the Muslims. Yes. But here's an interesting stat. So search Google News for his name, Brenton Tarrant, and you'll get what uh-huh. I got last night. Nearly 27 million results. Oh, God. Add the word Christian to that search, and you only get 5.7 million results. So only 20% of the stories talking about him mention Christianity. And of those that I read, Mm. not many of them mention his comments aligning himself with Christianity. They're They're mostly talking about him referring to studying battles between Christians and Muslims, historical battles. Right. Um, When I reduced the search using the word complicated, so looking for news articles that mention that he said his, whether or not he was a Christian was complicated, I get less than 3,000 results. And only a handful of those are actually about this story where Google News peters out and just starts giving me other results. So really only maybe Mm -hmm. a few dozen of the 27 million articles that talk about him are mentioning his Christianity. I feel like this is Venezuela all over again, but please go on. (laughs) So why why do you think that is? Well, look, I think there's a, a reluctance on behalf of the media in the West to declare the religion or religious uh, motivations of white nationalist Christian terrorists. If it was a, mm-hmm. if it was a, a, a person of uh, Arabic descent or even Eastern European descent 
who happened to be uh-huh. a Muslim who carried out a terrorist oh. attack, they would tell you um, up it's front. It's in the title. It'd be in the headline. Yeah. yeah. Muslim yes, terrorist. Exactly. Again, right. when we see these guys, white Christians, the their Christianity is not brought up, even though this is very, very clearly an, a, a religious attack on a religious people and... Many times uh, in his manifesto, he refers to my faith, attacks on Christian people, white genocide. He quotes Pope Urban. Yeah. It's very evident that he sees this as a as a religious war as well as a race war. It doesn't mm-hmm. get talked about by the media. Now, I don't think that's can be accidental. Right. I mean, anyone who read right. the manifesto, like me, which a journalist should do if they're going to report on this, uh, has to see that in the text. Um, yeah. As I said before, if it was a Muslim terror attack, they would absolutely talk about his religious motivations. So it's a conscious mm-hmm. decision on behalf of the journalists and their editors and their publishers and their and and the owners. producers in terms of television, yeah, right. and the owners, uh, producers on television yeah. and radio, not to mention this. Why? Why would they not mention his Christianity? Well, I think they're either because they are Christians themselves and they don't want to um, have that conversation, sure. or because they don't want to uh, face the wrath of Christian lobbies in their countries. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it's quite an obvious, deliberate omission, obfuscation by the media, which I find fascinating. And this isn't the first time. This happens whenever there's a white Christian attack. Yeah. Now, do you, I, I just, and then again, I'm not trying to throw you off, but um, from from reading the manifesto, do you believe that he is encouraging others to also commit attacks? I I had read one thing where some forensic psychologist said um, that he believed that in the manifesto he was encouraging other mass murderers, but to outdo him, to be innovative, and to to be able to claim more victims in the next attack. Did you did you get that impression as you were reading? Yeah, I said earlier that he, he mm, okay. deliberately and and um, uh, stated that he hopes to be an inspiration, like other shooters, Brevik, people wow. like that were inspiration. Dylan Roof were inspirations for him. Um, Keep it going. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. No, he 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 was quite um, blatant about that in his manifesto. Now, um, he had five guns, including two semi-automatic weapons, similar to an AR-15, the favorite gun of um, terrorists in the United States, um, and two shotguns, um, and I think uh, maybe a, a sort of some sort of a handheld. Now, right. uh, these were all legally purchased online because New Zealand has been slack about its gun laws, mm. perhaps surprisingly. Uh, from what we know about yeah. New Zealand. Now, we didn't really get into New Zealand's gun laws when we were doing our gun control series because there didn't seem to be any reason There was to. no reason to. Yeah. Exactly. Their last exactly. mass shooting was in 1990. Like, they hadn't had one for even longer than Australia. Uh, our right. last one was 1996. Their last one was 1990. Now, 
they currently have about one firearm for every four people in New Zealand. Oh, my God. And no ban mm. on semi-automatic weapons. Um, that's probably going to change. Um, but yeah. uh, they currently rank 18th in the world uh, for civilian gun ownership. Now, the New mm. Zealand Prime Minister, uh, Jacinda Ardern, said uh, there have been attempts to change our laws in 2005, 2012, and after an inquiry in 2017. Now is the time for change. Uh, She said on Monday after a meeting of her cabinet that gun law changes will be announced within 10 days. Um, Now, apparently she didn't get the memo that after a mass shooting, you're just supposed to do thoughts and prayers and not politicize the tragedy. Right. And just uh, mourn. Just Don't mourn. Don't fix it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so hopefully, well, she hasn't said exactly what those changes will be. She said, look, it's, 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 there's a complicated process that we have to go through. We want to do it properly. A lot of moving parts. But I think uh, we can be pretty... Pretty confident that they're going to be sweeping fucking changes to New Zealand's gun laws yeah. uh, in the next couple of weeks, as there were to Australians in 1996, because that is what civilized countries do after a single incident like this. Is we yeah. go fuck? That's bad. We don't want any more of that. Let's do something about it. All right. Yeah. You. What do you think? Yeah. Fuck. No. That's horrible. Let's do it. We don't just go stick our heads in the sand and pretend it didn't happen. Right. But to be a little bit more fair and balanced, as far as I know, Australia nor New Zealand have anything in their constitution about the right to bear arms. I'm I'm assuming. Yes, you're right. Okay. Yeah. But still, but but your point your but point still, is valid. Your yeah. point is absolutely valid. Your yeah. constitution also had the right to own slaves. Um, right. How's that work? And we fix and we fix that. And the oh, you fixed that one. And- oh wow! So you can fix things. So stupid shit we written it by paper. a bunch of privileged rich white guys three hundred years ago, two hundred fifty years ago, can be fixed. Well, fuck me. Who are now, who, who are now gods, not unlike Julius Caesar and Augustus. Yeah. To us. They're gods. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the last mass shooting before this in New Zealand had been 1990. They did tighten their gun laws. Uh, he killed only 13 people. But um, That was enough. This, yeah. The small arms survey estimates that New Zealand possesses about 1.2 million guns for its population of 4.6 million people, but some media reports estimate it could be as high as 1.5 million guns. Now, that compares to Australia's 3.5 million guns for 24.6 million people. So we have about wow. one gun for every eight people. They have one gun for every four or maybe slightly higher ratio. Of course, in the United States, you've got 120 guns for every 100 people. So um, they're nowhere Jesus. near as lax as the United right. States, but still compared to Australia, much more lax. According to... Uh, Philip Alpers, the guy who runs gunpolicy.org, he's a an analyst, a firearms analyst at the University of Sydney. Australia has the tightest gun control policies in the Pacific region, and New Zealand's are much more lax. He said, among developed nations, it stands alone, New Zealand this is, with the United States as the only two countries without universal gun registration. Mm. 
So he bought the guns legally, which why uh, seems to be why he was in New Zealand. He uh, said in his manifesto that he went to New Zealand to train. So he right. got a license, uh, started buying guns, and was uh, practicing with them. He looked but, fairly proficient in the video that I watched, yes. but um, I, which Pretty I did calm. watch, um, disturbingly. Um, Chrissy was very disturbed by the fact that I watched, and I said, "Well, listen, I'm going to talk about it on the show. I feel like I, I need to see it. I need to see the evidence. I need to be able to uh, talk about it credibly." But it was dis- deeply, deeply disturbing. And, and I'm sure you, I'm sure you looked up. There's like a six step process to buying a gun um in New Zealand and one of that is like you have to have references you have to go through special training that got that kind of stuff and they interview either your spouse or close family members i mean you you got to do some work but you're right he absolutely got these illegally and he started training and because he wasn't involved with any of those other groups or terrorists or whatever except for stuff i think he posted on 8chan and i don't know much about that um yeah he was completely under the radar so his his plan was in, uh, not unlike the shooting was carried out very efficiently. Yeah, so he went there to train, and in his manifesto, he in the FAQ says, "Well, why did you decide to carry out the attack in New Zealand?" And he said, "Well, I didn't originally have any plans for New Zealand, but mm. seems as good as anywhere. Um, uh, they they have Muslims wow. as well, um, so it just was you know why not? Might as well do it here." Of course, he would have struggled to get his guns into Australia or to get the equivalent sort of guns in Australia. Not that it's impossible, but um, very, very difficult. You know, we still have shootings here. We still have gun homicides here. We have 30 or 40 gun homicides a year on average. But um, I don't recall hearing any of them in the last 20 years happening with a semi-automatic military-style weapon. Their pistols. I mean, it's like a, you know, usually gang-related murder-suicides of families mm-hmm. or suicides to and quite often farmers, shotguns, you know, rifles out on their property. But right, you don't hear about AR-15s being used in uh, homicides in this country. So I assume it's very difficult for even gangs to get them in this country. Um. So anyway, uh, who's responsible for the increasing Islamophobia that we've seen happening in Australia? Uh, Qui bono. Mm. Qui bono. Who benefits from the racial and religious tensions that have been building up? Now, there's a couple of obvious uh, answers to this. One, of course, is the media. As we've talked about a lot on our shows over the years, the media, newspapers, TV, radio, love uh, and trade on fear and um, um, these sorts of things sell newspapers. Not many people are buying newspapers anymore or watching TV or radio, but uh, the people who do tend to buy them tend to be older white conservatives, and there's nothing they like more than getting scared about the Muslims. Um, or the gays, or the druggies, or the bikey gangs, or yeah, transgender, yeah, yeah, or Kim, or yeah. <laughs> so uh, there's one study uh, done by a Muslim production studio based in Sydney, One Path Network, that had a look at uh, our newspapers, 
um, over the last couple of years. They showed that the Murdoch media, now, as you know, Rupert Murdoch owns a few newspapers in Australia still. Mm -hmm. Um, They showed that those Murdoch papers, in the course of a single year, ran 2,891 stories trashing Islam. Damn. Negative, negative stories about Islam. Now, um, disclaimer about the methodology of this. They were searching for, um, you know, they were running a massive search over the, the paper database looking for Islam, the combination of Islam and negative words, uh, terror, right. fear, you know, murder, uh, whatever it is in mm-hmm. the story and claim that as a hit. Now, it's a little bit weak in terms of a research methodology because – you know, it, it, the, the story itself may not have been particularly trashing Islam in general. It may have had some other right. connection between those words uh, in the story, which wasn't particularly trashing Islam. But uh, it's still a lot of stories. You know, let's say you allow yeah. for a, a false hit rate of 10%, 20%, still a lot of stories in a single year. That's uh, yeah. it's like um, so uh, two eight nine one divided by three sixty five. That's eight stories a day across a Jesus. year. Jesus, uh, about that's propaganda. Negative stories that's about Islam. Fucking propaganda. Now, yeah. Mur- Murdoch's newspaper competitor in this country, Fairfax, recently bought by our biggest television station, Channel Nine, um, had less coverage of Muslims, but it was still pretty substantial. They ran over 100 stories, negative stories about Islam every month. Um, so that's about mm-hmm. three three or four a day. Um, so between our newspapers alone, in a single year of this study, a massive amount of negative stories about Islam. The study also found that the Murdoch papers had 152 front-page stories relating to Islam or Muslims in a negative way in a single year. Right. That's so powerful. Yes, that's powerful. Um, and that's not even talking about television. Um, you know, the, the report came out yesterday that one of our top-ranking morning shows, I think it was Sunrise uh, on, I think that's Channel... Seven. I don't really know. I don't have a TV. I don't watch these shows because they're bullshit. But um, <laughs> apparently th- th- they have been paying our most famous uh, extreme right uh, politician, Pauline Hanson. They've been paying her to appear on their shows um, to basically bash Muslims wow. and single mothers and probably Aboriginals and all the usual um, talking points for the extreme right. Fraser Ranning, by the way, um, the guy who wrote the, the uh, put out a press statement on the day of the shooting that, was, yeah. that bla- basically blamed the Muslims for the attack in New Zealand. Um, uh, I think he started off as one of Pauline Hanson's uh, party uh, ministers and then she wasn't extreme enough for him, so he left to do his own thing. Um, anyway, uh, so the media has a big role to play in this. Um, mm-hmm. As do our politicians, um, our politicians from both parties have been building up the fear as a mechanism for appealing to a certain electorate 
over the last right. 20 years. Um, it's been a, a, a deliberate political strategy. Um, it's a bit like t- the tough on communism thing in the late 40s and early 50s in the United States that we've talked about in the Cold War show. Every party has mm-hmm. to appear tough on refugees, yeah. which is a uh, code word for Muslims trying to get into our country. Um, now, who else benefits? Now, if we're in the US. We could look at the, the NRA and their clients, the gun manufacturers. Yeah. gun lobby. Yeah. But that's not a big thing in this country, as you know. We don't really right. have much influence. There's, there's, there's a bit of influence. The NRA are trying to throw money at some of the more extreme right uh, politicians, mostly independents in this country, to weaken mm. our gun laws. But it's a, small, it's a small thing here. It's not a big thing. But I'll tell you who I think the biggest one is that needs to hold the water for this. Who is the oldest enemy of Islam? Uh, Israel? Mm. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess you could go with that, maybe. <laughs> just equally as old. Jews? I don't know. I don't know. Christianity. Christianity oh, yeah. has been okay. fighting wars against Islam since the 8th century. And mm. uh, one report I read on Islamophobia in Australia said that members of the larger Christian denominations, predominantly the Catholics in Australia, had lower Islamophobia scores, while Baptists Mm. and those from more non-traditional Christian groups, I guess that's uh, Seventh-day Adventists and and the Jehovah's and the Mormons and some of the other smaller groups, uh, some of you more happy clapper evangelical Hillsongy type churches, which are kind of Baptisty, right. had higher Islamophobia scores. It also this report concluded that, and this was a, a reasonable study that was done, that compared with people of no religion or non-Christian religions like Hindus, mm-hmm. uh, no, right. sorry, Buddhists. The Hindus were, were actually. Pretty, pretty bad. A lot of Islamophobia with the Hindus, apparently. Um, wow. Probably got to do with the whole India-Pakistan thing, I suspect. Um, but uh, Catholics and the other Christian groups had self-reported much higher rates of fear of Muslims. Not mm. necessarily Islamophobia, but Muslimophobia. Um, right. I guess fear of Muslims where how that differentiates from Islamophobia I'm not exactly sure probably the same thing but compared with people of no religion Catholics and all the other Christians are much higher so why do you think that would be why would hmm. Christians have a much higher fear of Muslims than people of no religion we live in the same country same cultures right. same media you know same breathing the same oxygen, eating the same wheat bix um, why would they have higher rates of Islamophobia than people of no religion? You know, I, I think it has to be something that's going on in their churches, has to be something that's going on in their culture. I've, I've been asking my Christian friends in Australia to comment on this over the last couple of days. And, you know, it's um, I've, I've had a range of responses to that. And these are some of my more mm-hmm. thoughtful, progressive, um, intelligent uh, Christian friends I'm, I'm referring to. 
Uh, they they agree right. that there is a lot of this going on in Christianity. Um, unlike me, they don't blame Christianity for it. Like you know from the work that we've done on the Renaissance show, I believe, based on my study of Christianity uh, and the history of Christianity, that intolerance and violence are integral to the core of Christianity. It's there in the letters of Paul. It's there in the Gospels. Right. And it's it's there in in the writings of Augustine of Hippo, etc. It's 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 been in the spine of Christianity since they did a deal with Constantine, right? In 310, yeah. 312. Um, now they they you know they they will argue against that. A lot of my Christian friends. Well, those people. Uh, weren't really Christians, which, as I always point out, is a classic example of the no true Scotsman right. fallacy. Um, right. And as I said to my one of my friends who's an ex-pastor, um, ex-Lutheran pastor, I say to him, well, by whose authority are you able to sit there and say that 1,700 years of theologians and popes and cardinals and bishops weren't as Christian as you are, weren't the real Christians? Like, where, where do you get the authority to say that? Right. He said, well, according to my reading of the Bible, Jesus was all about... No, wait, 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 wait. I'm not asking whether or not your interpretation differs from their interpretation. I'm saying by by what authority do you get to say they weren't Christians and you are? Like, where do you get that authority from? Yeah, to draw the line. It's the no true Scotsman fallacy. Well, a true Christian would never do those things, really. Who who gets to determine that? Um, Yeah. When the people who run the fucking religion for 1,700 years do this, you know, why do you think you have more authority than they do on what is and is not Christian behavior? So that, so I've been trying to get my head around two things, and I'll, I'll wrap up in a minute. Um, one is why Christians haven't been doing more to fight Islamophobia in their churches and within the Christian elements of our political system. Of course, most of our prime ministers in the last... 20 years have worn their Christianity on their sleeve, um, very closely aligned right. with Christian lobbyists, particularly the right wing, the conservative politicians. Um, the, the, on the left, slightly less so. We had one politician, Julia Gillard, one prime minister for a couple of years. She's um, supposedly an atheist, although she didn't talk about it much. But even she uh, supported some Christian lobby initiatives like having chaplains in our public schools. Um, But her predecessor and successor, Kevin Rudd, because, you know, she knifed him, then he knifed her back and all this business. (laughs) He's an an extreme Christian who wore his Christianity on his sleeve and talked about it a lot. Um, But then prime ministers like John Howard... Um, Tony Abbott, Scott Morrison, our current one, he, even Malcolm Turnbull, who was a little bit, he downplayed it a bit, but did go to church and all this kind of business. I don't think he's a real Christian. I think he's a fake Christian, but the others are all like hard, hardcore fucking believers, big supporters of uh, George Cardinal George Pell as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been they've been part and parcel of the rising Islamophobia. Uh, they, they're the guys that set up the concentration camps on the Pacific Islands where they've been throwing in these um, Muslim uh, asylum seekers. Um, and building up all of the fear around Muslims coming in as a deliberate uh, political right. strategy. They deny that, but you know it's quite 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 obvious that the, what they're doing is appealing to these 
fringe voters in the same way that the crazy right, like Pauline Hanson has been doing, appealing to these scared, white, conservative, mm. people of low education, um, uh, uh, yeah. all this kind of stuff. So why Christians haven't been doing more about it? Now, all of my Christian friends will tell me when we get into a conversation about Christianity that Christianity is all about love and peace. Jesus preached love and peace. It's all about love and peace. I'm like, okay, so if it's all about love and peace, if that's what Christianity is all about, if that's what's getting taught in your churches, why are there much higher rates of Islamophobia and fear of Muslims in your churches than there are of people of no religion in this country and Buddhists? Right. If you're preaching love and peace, love thy neighbor. Right. Except for the brown ones. (laughs) Sorry. 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 Right. Why? So there's this stark yeah. dichotomy in my mind between what they claim their religion is, teaches and is all about and how it manifests in things like this and their treatment of gays and same-sex marriage. Well, we love you unless you disagree, unless you, you, you want to fuck somebody right. up the ass, in which case, no, fuck you. Yeah. No, no love for yeah. you. We don't love or you. or yeah. it's St. Augustine's kind of love. Well, listen, we're going to kill you, but it's out of love because... Right. We love you so much, we don't want to see you go to hell. We're better if we kill you now before you commit more sins. Or better better we prevent you from having gay sex, or at least getting married and having gay, um, all this kind of stuff. The second question in my mind, as I mentioned before, this recent study that reports much higher incidence of Islamophobia inside Australian Christianity, why is it that high? They have to be connected, these two things. Why is it getting taught inside of churches? And why aren't, why don't I see Australian Christians denouncing Islamophobia mm-hmm. vocally, vociferously? Why don't I see Ooh. Australian Christians denouncing our Christian prime ministers and other politicians that are promoting Islamophobia that are building and supporting and, and paying shit tons of money to run these concentration camps, which the Human yeah. Rights Commission regularly say are appalling the way that they've been run. Why don't I see them uh, standing up and and addressing this issue? Um, the Australian National University. Um, did a study recently that found that 71% of Australians were concerned about the rise of Islamic extremism. However, mm-hmm. another university, Griffith University, found a second statistic. 70% of Australians think they know little to nothing about Islam and Muslims. Ah. But listen, I'm not casting the blame all on the Christians, although I do think that's a big part of the problem. As I said at the beginning, and I'll reiterate, this happened on my watch. Now, I can justify it and rationalize it by saying, listen, I've spent the last 15 years making podcasts trying to preach against (sighs) hatred and Mm -hmm. trying to preach for... Um, some form of humanism, I guess. Um, I've I've written a book about the three illusions. Uh, I've written a book about psychopaths, uh, which is another question. Obviously, is this guy a psychopath or is this something else? Tony Kynaston asked right. me that yesterday. I said, "Look, I really, I really don't know. I don't know how to." 
yeah. assess this kind of behaviour, what it is. Um, and I, I don't feel at all qualified to even have a, uh, an intelligent comment on that. So I, I feel personally responsible. I think if you're listening to this and you're, you're an Australian, particularly if you're an Australian male, particularly if you're a white Australian male, because he, was, he is one of us, um, mm-hmm. like we need to do a much better job of the treatment of women in this country, um, sexual harassment, sexual abuse is, is right. way, way, way too high. Um, the the violence um, towards women by men, usually their partners in this country, is way, way, way high. We have a lot of deep, fundamental, systemic problems in this country, most of which are, uh, are being enacted by white men. This rise in Islamophobia needs to be shut the fuck down. We need to stand up and loudly decry Islamophobia in all forms. Now, I'm happy to criticize religion and all religions. And people have said to me over the years, why do you criticize Christianity so much and not Islam? It's just as bad. Yes, it is. And they say, well, it's because you don't want to get bombed. And no, I don't want to get bombed. And I don't want, I don't want a jihad uh, declared against me. But that's not the real reason. That's true. That is, a, that is something that I think about. But the real reason is we are a mostly Christian country. Christianity right. is still the biggest religion in my country. That's why I talk about Christianity, because it is the biggest problem in terms of religion in this country. But we all need to stand up, whether you're a Christian or an atheist or something else, or a Muslim. Um, it is incumbent. You know, you often hear this when there's a Muslim extremist-based terrorist attack. Why don't the Muslims stand up and denounce Islamic fundamentalism? You hear that all the time from people like Sam Harris, mm-hmm. etc. Well, obviously, the same is true times a thousand for white men. And... yeah white christians you need to stand the fuck up now there's probably not a lot of white christians listening to this i understand that and probably not a lot of christians <laughs> listening to this but, <laughs> but uh please please people wherever you are don't let something like this happen on our watch again at least do our best to prevent this by fighting against this rising tide of complete and utter fucking nonsense. Now, before we finish, just to renew your faith in humanity, I want to talk about the hero of this story, Abdul Mm -hmm. Aziz. Did you read about Abdul Aziz? No, but before you do that, let me let me just just real quick. Um, you asked those two questions. Let me partially answer question number one, and I'll do it for the Americans. Um, and I'll just do this real quick. So the website, the Southern Poverty Law Center in the United States, it keeps an eye on a, a lot of things like this, and they put out they put out a um, report each year. The year of nine eleven, there were six hundred sixty seven hate groups in the United States. Last year, there were just over a 1,000 hate groups in the United States. It's gone up almost 40%. 
the vast majority of them are alt-right, and the vast majority of them are against Muslims. So for whoever wanted, whoever caused 9-11, whatever their goals were, if they wanted to keep a rift between the East and the West, that seems to be, for some people, succeeding brilliantly because there is a lot, like you were saying, a lot of fear, a lot of ignorance, and a lot of hatred that is still stemming and uh, from that attack. And when you have the press doing what they're doing for sales, it just perpetuates the, the hatred and the ignorance and the fear. I'm done. So after he shot up the first mosque, um, the shooter went to a second mosque a couple of blocks away. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, as far as we know, only there was only one shooter. There were media reports on the, at the on the day that there might be a second. A couple of people uh, were arrested. There was another guy on, I think, one of the locations who was armed, but the police have since decided he had nothing to do with it, wasn't involved. He just happened to be there and had a gun on oh. him. Um, wow. Now, uh, so the shooter went to a second mosque. Um, now, the imam who was giving a talk saw uh, uh, this guy through the window in the grounds dressed in military fatigues, um, oh. told the congregation of about 80 people to get down on the ground. Um, I think somebody, I'm not sure if it was the imam or somebody else, got shot through the window. Um wow. And uh, there was a couple of dead bodies outside. Guy was shooting people who were in the grounds, which I think the imam saw. One of the members of the congregation, a 48-year-old man, so he's my age, Abdul Aziz, was there with his four sons who were young, ran out of the building towards the shooter, yelling and screaming. He picked up some sort of a credit card machine on his way and threw it at the shooter in order to distract him and lead him away from the mosque. The shooter started firing at Aziz, who was Mm -hmm. in a car park and was dodging in and out of cars. Shooter missed him. Shooter then emptied his mag, went back to his car, got another gun. Um, At some point while he was doing that... um, Aziz picked up the empty gun, which the shooter had discarded, tried firing it at the shooter, but of course it was empty. So he threw it like a javelin at the shooter's car and it smashed the shooter's windscreen, which wasn't hard because the shooter, if you've seen the video, as he left the first mosque, he actually was firing from the driver's seat through his own windscreen at a car of somebody trying to leave the first mosque. Mm Um. Then the shooter started yelling and screaming, so I'm going to fucking kill all of you, And but got in his car and s- took off. Aziz chased him down the road. <laughs> Jesus. The shooter did a U- U-turn and sped off, and I think that's when the cops caught up with him and rammed his car off the road and managed to arrest him. So. Damn. Just to renew your faith in humanity, let's all be Abdul Aziz in any way that we can. Let us embody the spirit of. I think he had. I think he was um, an Afghani man who had lived in Australia for many years before moving to mm-hmm. New Zealand a few years ago. 
um, Muslim, Afghani, immigrant. Hero. Hero. That's the show for this week. Mm.